As indicated in your order of worship, we are working our way through the book of Acts. This week's lesson is a continuation of, of last week's lesson from Acts chapter 3. We pick up in Acts chapter 4. I hope that you brought a Bible with you or you'll take a pew Bible in, in front of you and turn there to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. In the third chapter of Acts, as we mentioned last week, uh, post-resurrection, there's a different kind of power. And it has the power to transform stories and lives and families and whole communities in a way that, that didn't happen or maybe couldn't happen before the power of resurrection. Peter and John attest to that. There's a beggar. He, he sits outside the door and his hands are, are placed like this, much like how we receive communion. This beggar was situated outside the beautiful gate of, of the temple. And every week, people would walk past him. But Peter and John finally showed up. They saw him. Peter and John uttered some words. Rise up. In the name of Jesus, get up. And the man got up. And he didn't just start walking around. It didn't take him a moment to really get his legs under him like a, like a newborn, like a toddler. No, he started dancing, leaping for joy and and word of this remarkable miracle started to spread. As we said last week in thinking about stories of transformation, the healed begging paralytic wasn't the only story of transformation that day. Peter's own life, having been called Satan by Jesus, having been called also the, the rock on whom the church was built, the one who would deny Jesus in his greatest moment of need. And John, this, this ordinary fisherman, all three stood before all the people on the front porch, the world's greatest stage, and said, we're here to testify that the power of resurrection can change your story. What do you think, what do you think happened as the word spread that this man was no longer begging nor paralyzed, that Peter and John were preaching resurrection. What do you think people thought? That's where we pick up today in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Listen for the word of the Lord. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000 that day. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made their prisoners stand in their midst, they asked, by what power and by what name did you do this? And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. This Jesus 
is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and it has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you know, our annual pancake run for missions is coming up in, in a few days, and I've been thinking about a story from a few years ago when a mom and her two sons were at a similar church event watching pancakes being made. Uh, the pastor was actually preparing the pancakes, a task that no one has ever asked me to do. And our young boys, they started smelling the aroma and seeing the syrup and, and the butter all right there together. And, and they started to squabble. They started to fight, as brothers do. They started saying, I'm going to get the first pancake. No, I'm going to get the first. So the mom saw it as a teaching moment. She said, boys, if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I'll just wait. So the younger brother turned to the older brother and said, okay. You be Jesus. Right? <laughs> right. Funny. True. The punchline is loaded. You be Jesus. If someone tells us those words, you be Jesus, what do we hear? How do we receive that? What does that mean? Does it mean be kind? Jesus was kind. Does it mean to welcome children? Jesus welcomed children. Does it mean to, to go to church? Jesus went to church. Does it mean to be holy? Jesus, Jesus was holy. What, is, what does it mean? You be Jesus. What about courage? We don't talk about courage, the courage of Jesus, very often, if, if at all. But would you say Jesus was courageous? That when somebody says, you be Jesus, that means be courageous? If so, what, what does that mean? Because so often in Jesus' ministry, I see him confronting worldly conventions and the status quo. I, I see him taking up with all the people the world had, had given up on and, and crossing all of the boundaries that the world sets up between itself, even crossing the boundaries to reach out to Gentiles like us. I, I see him reinterpreting the scriptures, and that would have made the people in the robes and stoles mad. I also see him flipping over tables in the, in the temple, and that disrupted the financial system. That would have made the investors mad. I also have heard him heard about him said that he will restore Israel. That would have made the government of Rome upset. So I think Jesus' ministry probably took some courage, don't you think? And I wonder what that means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You be Jesus. I wonder if that means that it's not for the faint of heart, that the Jesus way will, will pit followers against the world's power dynamics, the world's systems, the world's structures, and all who claim to possess power in this world. What we're seeing today is that power according to the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God is, is different. So today's reading, it highlights a division of power based on some courageous words that Peter and John were willing to share about resurrection. They were under a new kind of power and it made a few folks mad. Because you see, the healing of the paralytic man, it, it should have been cause to rejoice. When we hear stories of transformation, when people overcome 
addiction and, and get through grief and, and when relationships are no longer broken but are put back together, we should find those opportunities, put a stake in the ground and say, God is at work right there and give God the glory. But when this man was, was healed and when Peter and John, two ordinary fishermen, stood before the masses and, and gave their testimony, we read about it last week, when they did these things, it, it was not... It was not cause for celebration by the religious leaders and the politicians because it was a threat to their power. And if you couple that with the fact that not too terribly long prior to this, Jesus only had 12 disciples, and then he sent out 70, and then he sent out 100 and something, and then on the day of Pentecost, it grew to 3,000, and as we're told here, the numbers reached 5,000 who came to believe in Jesus Christ that day. That's a pretty good, great 50-day challenge, don't you think? Those are good growth numbers. But growth means change. And change causes fear. And rapid growth, it might mean instability. And that might be deemed as a threat to the leaders who want to manage what we can manage. But here's the thing, the post-resurrection disciples are under, operating under a completely different kind of power than this world can provide. In the Greek, that word is dynamis, from which we get two words, dynamic, and what other word? It's an explosive word. Dynamite, yes, dynamite. Dynamic and dynamite, the power the power of resurrection under the guidance of the Holy Spirit cannot be anything other than explosive, world-changing, life-changing, whatever it is that cripples us. However it is we beg for answers and beg for life, there's a new power in this world. And it comes solely through the name of Jesus Christ. So if power, if dynamic, dynamite power is really the, the problem, then Peter has the solution, and it's Jesus. But saying things about Jesus and in the name of Jesus requires courage, friends. We draw lines of demarcation between people, and that's when the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit shows up to blow up all of those walls and to help us start building bridges between one another. Willie Jennings uh, from Duke says that speaking holy words has serious consequences, maybe like playing with a stick of dynamite, <laughs> because I think it's fairly easy to speak about God, but it takes courage, it takes courage to speak as Jesus would speak. In our reading today, Peter and John speak three holy words. Arise is what they told the man. Repent is what they told the crowd. And Jesus is the only way to salvation. The chief cornerstone is what they told the religious and the political powers that be. In the name of Jesus, the world will change. Stand up. Repent of your sin. You know how the um, religious leaders would have, would have heard this? They would have heard it as heresy. Because Peter and John were saying, Jesus is the power of God. 
And the political and governmental leaders would have heard it as an act of sedition. Jesus is the power, the sole ultimate power in this world. And so upon hearing these words, the, the people in power did what people in power do best. They shut it down, arrested the men, locked them away, out of sight, out of mind. How dare they say such things? We will show you what power is all about. We'll lock you up and torture you. But that's not real power. What kind of power is chains and, and jail for the one who rolled away the stone and came back from the dead? <laughs> You know, everything that, that I ever needed to learn and know about life, I learned in kindergarten. I think there's a book about that. But most everything that I learned about life, I learned at a children's minute, just like you heard Jillian preach the best sermon you'll hear today with the building blocks. I love it. Because the answer to life's questions is always Jesus. The answer at any children's minute is always Jesus. You know, what do I have in my hands? Jesus. You know, what color is this balloon? Jesus. You know, um, who fixed breakfast for you this morning? Jesus? You know, I mean, it's always Jesus. And they're right. Because the one who holds the keys to the chains that bind us is, is Jesus. The one who calms our fears is Jesus. The one person who alone can bring comfort to those who mourn on this day is Jesus. Jesus works through counselors and science and technology and, and so, many, so many avenues and so many, so many ways to bring us a power that this world just cannot, cannot provide. So sp Peter speaks a final word, holy words, that have consequences for him and for John and for the newly transformed man. But he's asked a question, by what power... Did y'all do these things? Peter says, it's, it's only because the power of Jesus Christ, the chief, the chief cornerstone. Peter is becoming the rock on whom the church will be built. But Peter is positioning himself as the rock of the church in proximity to the cornerstone on which the church was founded. That's Christ. Jesus as the cornerstone is the most important part of any structure. It's the first stone set in place. All other stones are set in reference to that one cornerstone. It bears all the weight of the other stones. If it's out of line, all the other stones are out of line. It comes in one particular hewn block. No flaws, no chinks, no cracks. It's square, no matter how long or rough or different shapes and sizes everything else might be. This is the cornerstone. One writer says that in Aramaic and Hebrew, the word stone sounds nearly identical to the word sun. It makes sense based on Peter's words. It also makes sense on Peter's words later in the New Testament writings when he says, we are the living stones. My question to you is, how are you orienting your life? Like Peter oriented his life and his words to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. How are we orienting our lives to the cornerstone, the foundational block on which all of life is built? Because the thing is, a cornerstone is never an add-on ornament. But we try to do that with Jesus. 
Make him an afterthought. Put other stones in his place. Orient our lives to, to other pillars and to other stones we deem important. But there is but one cornerstone to whom we should orient our lives. It's Christ alone. Are your actions and life aligning with Christ as the chief cornerstone? So when asked, from where does your power come? Peter speaks holy words. And it has consequence. He's locked up. But Peter's cornerstone courage, it's, it's not an act of individualism. One misconception is, despite what you read about in the New York Times bestsellers list, true courage and power doesn't come from within. It comes from without. Because it comes from the Holy Spirit and it, and it then gets in us, but then it has to find a way back out to help change the world. And when that happens, it creates a movement to the tune of 5,000 people this day. There's one more thing I want to share about this text that I think is important, something Barbara Brown Taylor says. It says she says that the cornerstone was rejected by the builders, but it became the cornerstone. It means that, that somebody had to pick up that cornerstone and put it in place and position it and, and then start orienting all of the other stones around it. What does that mean? What does it say? Is, is it a muscular power or of someone who can make things happen, or the power of one willing to serve where one is placed. Perhaps cornerstone courage means we acknowledge that God has placed us where we are for a time such as this because God believes in our ability to unite and not divide. Our need to include and not exclude. Our need to champion faith over fear, to lead when it's time to lead and to follow when it's time to follow. Peter did this, but he was not alone. This did not come from within. It came from the power of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of believers. Are we willing to be placed where God will place us so that God can use our holy words and our holy actions in this world? This past week was hard. It was hard for several reasons, breaking headlines and too many deaths in our church family. I just read another headline between services that broke my heart from my friend Anthony Brock at Valiant Cross. Another scholar was shot. He's okay. Anthony's calling for parents to say, don't let your kids stay out that late. Say no. Speak holy words into their lives. Ben summed it up. We are all troubled. We're trying to figure out how to make sense of things that are going on to this world and in this world, and the church is trying to find the right words to say. I've been trying to find the right words this week, too. Like many of you who read the headlines of the George Floyd case, we're trying to figure out how to make sense of all of this. Last year was a year like no other. As Bishop Graves often says, you take 50, 75, 100 years worth of, of history and challenges and even the future, you collapsed it into 2020. That's what we got. Nobody needs to remind us about how atrocious his death was or how violence erupted and how movements started and demonstrations and protests were seen everywhere and, and then how sports shut down and so many other things started advocating 
because of this event. And then the verdict of guilty, it's issued this week, sparking cries of political correctness by some and, and cheers for others and, and steps toward accountability and justice for yet even more. I'm reading this, and I had the pancake story in my mind. O.J., you be Jesus. Oh, great. And I had Willie Jennings' words in my mind. Speaking holy words has consequences. But I believe that George Floyd did not deserve to die. His death was atrocious. But I don't think Derek Chauvin deserves to die either. Human beings taking human life is not the way of God's people. It's not the way of God if we believe in redemption. But we shouldn't overlook Floyd's death as an opportunity to acknowledge that we have some problems in our country that it will take cornerstone courage to solve some bedrock challenges. Cornerstone courage requires the church to advocate for those who can't breathe, for those who can't speak, and to also walk alongside victims and oppressors with the words, the courageous words of Jesus, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you all rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I remember that the church is called to lead with the greatest commandment to love God and love people and the golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do unto us. And to do as Paul says, be kind to one another. Those are the holy words the church needs to speak. But to also speak against every form of evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever form it presents itself. Peter and John's consequences of speaking such holy words, it landed them in prison. It was an early form of, of good trouble, I suppose, but for 5,000 at least who heard it, they came to believe in Jesus Christ. For some reason in my mind, the church doesn't have to, to hold evangelicalism and prophetic justice on two different poles. They're of the same voice. They're the same cloth, and we wrap ourselves in it every single week. Those are the holy words the church is called to speak. During these great 50 days, what holy words need to be spoken, despite the consequences, but for the sake of the Jesus movement. Also this past week, we lost some courageous members. Mm. Maureen Brown, Mary Ann Pickard, Walter Griffin, who was a member of our choir, Mary George Smith, whose family is here today, and Bud Skinner, whose family is part of our church. I was honored to officiate his graveside service this week. And through the gravity, the weight of, of, of these deaths this week, I just give thanks to God that the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, can bear it all. And no matter what the weight is that we have on our shoulders, it's not too much for the cornerstone. What I learned from these saints who left this world far too early is that the powers of this world cannot raise death to life. Only Jesus can do that. The powers of this world tried so hard to divide people, but what I learned from these five saints is the need to bring people together. And they practice cornerstone courage 
And I pray they feel cornerstone comfort from Jesus Christ right now. But there was a family this week who put their cornerstone faith into cornerstone action. And they sent me a letter. They gave me permission to read it. I won't use their names, but at the beginning of the letter, it, it says, what a year we've endured. Isolation, the loss of family members, the birth of new family members, monetary highs and lows, changes at work, storm damage, but we're starting to come through and looking back we feel so blessed. And then we saw the great 50-day challenge. What a brilliant idea piloted by an exceptional devotional book that was published. And then I wondered, what can I do? And the power of, of God began to speak, began to nudge, began to whisper, and then an idea. This person says, my work does not always allow uh, me to do the activities that the church is doing, so I had to get creative. And I don't have the same level of creativity as my wife, nor do I. But what I can do is give back, because to whom much is given, dot, dot, dot. So my idea is to give daily for 50 days, $50 for 50 days. And we want this to be used within or outside the congregation for an individual or a family who might be helped in some way so that they may feel as blessed as we do. It takes some cornerstone courage to write a $2,500 check in response to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So whether it's words or actions, the church is called to rise up and to know that we're part of a dynamic, explosive power in this world, that Jesus has come and has calmed all of, of life's storm, saying, be still and know that I am God. But the Easter church, which speaks holy and courageously words into the power structures of this world, do so by saying, Jesus is the cornerstone. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus holds up all the weight that we carry, my brothers and sisters. There is no burden too heavy. There is no load too great that the cornerstone cannot shoulder, that we, the body of Christ, cannot shoulder together. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we are saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Speak some holy words this week. Amen.